Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Matthew 3, 4 to 12. And here is what it says. Now, John, that's John the Baptist, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I bet that went down well with them. Who who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Talking about the offspring of Abraham being by faith. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I want to speak to you today on the subject, which father do you belong to? Which father do you belong to? We know genetically that while 50% of our DNA is shared between our mothers and fathers, recent studies suggest to us that the genes that come from our father are likely to be the more dominant in shaping our life. I find that significant as it relates to what the Bible teaches about the curse of sin that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. You see, it wasn't until Adam sinned after Eve that the curse and judgment of sin was brought into effect. And it was interesting that when Adam and Eve were hiding in their shame and in their nakedness, their eyes were opened, that it was God who addressed Adam to come out of his hiding and face up to what he has just done. We live in a culture in a day and age where people are hiding away. Many men, many fathers are, are hiding away in a place of shame and brokenness because of things that they regret and things that have happened. I believe today that God is going to heal orphan hearts in this room today. That God is going to restore to us a revelation and a heart for the Father, our Heavenly Father, in a way that will bring healing, not only to us and our relationships, but, but also to our extended sort of family and those people that we are connected with on a daily basis. King David understood something of being born in sin. Psalm 51, 5, he says, I was brought forth in 
iniquity. And so every single father reproduces in their children from Genesis 3 this sin nature. That the, the, the curse of sin has perpetuated itself in, in the bloodline of the human race. And so children, through that original sin of Adam and Eve, that sin nature, that sense of fallenness, both in creation and upon people, continues through the bloodline of Adam and Eve. It's one of the reasons why Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, begotten of his Father in heaven, because without the purity of Jesus as the Son of God, you and I would not be able to be redeemed, regenerated from our sinfulness. And so Jesus could not be begotten of a natural father, but he was begotten of a heavenly father. He was not of natural seed. He was of spiritual seed, heavenly seed. And as a result, he did not inherit the curse of sin upon himself. And now he can is the only one who can redeem you and I from the curse of sin and fallenness in our lives. And that is why everyone that is born of the Spirit is not only made alive with Christ, but is reconciled back to their heavenly father. That which your natural mother and father could not do, your heavenly father has done through Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to do backflips right now. Somebody ought to give God some sort of praise and worship and and you were dead in your sin, but Christ died for you. You've been restored. You've been reconciled back. You don't have to live with an orphan heart anymore. Oh God, would you give us a revelation? Fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the hope to which we're called what we have access to and who we have access to because of our heavenly Father's love for us in giving us Jesus. And so here is John the Baptist coming in all of his wildness and he immediately confronts a religious system, a way of thinking, man-made control, man-made religion that is attempting to justify its traditions and practices and has the audacity to say that they are the children of Abraham, that Abraham is their father. And so because they're the children of Abraham, God apparently blesses and loves their practices. And here is John the Baptist and he comes in all of his wildness to confront that wrong mindset, to confront that religious system. I want to tell you today, God will often send a wild spirit to unsettle man-made religion. And if there's anything we've encountered over these last 10 days or so, it's a wild spirit. There have been a lot of wild happenings and things in the spirit of God. But sometimes God has to do something wild by his spirit. Where did you get this idea from that the Holy Spirit is tame, can be controlled, can can sort of conform to your box, your image of how church should look, of how your relationship with God should look? Oh no, he's a wild spirit. He cannot be tamed. He's a God of the mountain that, that when Moses 
went up, there was to peals of thunder and terror and holy awe and fear. And, but he's also the God that sits with the, the woman at the well and ministers to her heart. He's a good, good father, but he's also terrifying. And, and here is John the Baptist and he comes in all of his wildness. The Bible speaks of his fashion line, his Balenciaga fashion line, camel hair and leather and a, a new fashion label coming your way and, and talks of his light and easy diet, locusts and wild honey. Why is it that the Bible goes into so much detail about his clothing and his diet? It's because God wants us to understand some comparisons and parallels. Everything has symbolism in the word and the Lord says things and includes things in his word to teach us about what it is that he is half for us and what it is that he was doing at that time. Uh, John the Baptist's clothing draws a comparison to the great prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And Malachi 4 speaks about that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that God would send the spirit of Elijah, would send Elijah, that forerunning spirit. And in Matthew, Matthew, what is it? In Matthew chapter 11, uh, John the Baptist, Jesus declares, is that Elijah coming to prepare the way for the coming of the king and the coming of the Lord. And as wild as the prophet Elijah was, so too John the Baptist comes in this wildness of spirit out in the wilderness and desert regions. And he comes and he not only has an interesting clothing outfit, but he also has an interesting diet, locusts and wild honey. Why locusts and wild honey? Well, for the Jews, their diet was a reflection of their relationship with God. They could not eat unclean things because food was scarce and sparse in wilderness desert regions. You have John the Baptist eating locusts. Locust was considered to be a clean animal. Speaking of the purity, the Nazarite nature of John the Baptist set apart. I tell you what, if we want to represent his mouthpiece, we've got to be set apart. There's got to be something different in us. I'm not calling for rigid asceticism. I am calling for a consecration. God is calling for a holiness in this hour. He's calling us to be set apart from the affections and the appetites of the world around us. And so John the Baptist in his diet, in his nature, in his approach was set apart. He's the wild honey was a picture of, you know, taste and see that God is good. But there was a wildness to it, man. It was something that was different. And the more entrenched the religious mindset stronghold and system the more wild a spirit that God has to send to unsettle us and shake us out of our spiritual apathy and complacency and so God used John the Baptist's wildness to get the attention of not just the religious establishment, but to get the attention of city dwellers. The Bible says that city dwellers would leave their businesses, leave their homes, and they would go to the desert. 
They would go to the wilderness. I tell you, when someone gets set on fire by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, when there is a burning in their heart and when the kingdom of heaven is preached in a full demonstration of the spirit and of power, people will leave their normal lives. They will relocate. They will shift their posture. They will abandon things, put things aside to prioritize that which God is calling us to. Wherever the gospel of the kingdom is preached in its fullness and its rawness and its wildness and its power, it's like a divine magnet that actually draws people under the person of Jesus. I find it fascinating that people from all over the world are leaving cities to go to a little town called Redding, California, a little bit like Bendigo in regional Victoria, around about the same size, but people are leaving all sorts of cities in the world. In fact, Bethel Church had to uh, pay an airline, I think it was Southwest Airlines, to establish a direct route from San Francisco to, to Redding, California because of the amount of people that were flying in from all over the world to go to a forest, desert, wilderness region. Why? Because there was a burning revelation of who Jesus is that people would set apart their normal, natural order of life and say, I've got to be where the kingdom of God is. I'm telling you, church, Jesus has sent you, Luke 9 and 10, to proclaim the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, accompanied by demonstrations of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There will be some who reject that message, but there'll be many who are drawn like a magnet to that message. It's no accident or surprise of what God is doing in our church and in our lives in this hour, because when he is lifted up, when King Jesus and his message of the kingdom is lifted up, he draws all people unto himself. We've got to make sure that our spiritual diet is clean. Our spiritual diet is pure. We've got to make sure that the message on our lips is the same message that Jesus came preaching, that we don't get distracted or lost into weird doctrines and into weird fanciful sort of ideologies of man. What did Paul say to Timothy? He said, don't get lost in meaningless ideologies, genealogies, rubbish, and all sorts of people according deception at the moment in the online world in all sorts of weird doctrines of demons. Why? Because the purity of the gospel of the kingdom has been lost in translation where we're trying to be so cool for school to connect people to, to the message that we've forgotten. It's the, the, the power of the gospel unto salvation. It's the purity and power of the message of the kingdom that actually transforms people's lives. Oh, we need a praise break right now. Come on, somebody. We need a praise break. Thank you, Jesus. And so if we are going to produce the fruit of the kingdom, our minds need to be renewed and realigned to the kingdom. You can only bear the fruit of the kingdom according to the renewal of your mind to the pattern of the kingdom. In verse 7 or 4 to 6, should I say, the Bible tells us, no, in verse 7 to 8, thank you, Jesus. The Bible tells us 
that when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Note this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Very important, powerful insight and revelation. When John the Baptist came preaching, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came preaching Matthew 4, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, if you are going to access the fullness, the authenticity, the truth of this kingdom, if you're going to be a citizen, a son and daughter of this kingdom, there needs to be a change of mind and a change of heart. There has got to be a renewal of your thinking. There's got to be a turning away of carnal thinking. And there's got to be this willingness to change and turn towards a a different mode, a different way of thinking if the kingdom of heaven is going to manifest in your life. Now, when we come into the kingdom of God, the greatest transformation that happens in our lives is between our two ears. It's in our mind. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have been given the mind of Christ. Okay? Now that is true theologically. That is also true spiritually. But practically, you can come to Jesus, be regenerated in your heart, born of the Spirit, and you yet still operate according to your flesh because your mind is still programmed to the old operate, old software. Your mind is still uh, operating according to carnal thinking. Yeah. And so what needs to happen is, is this metamorphosis, this transformation process, bearing fruit in keeping with a change of mind and a change of heart so that our minds come into alignment with this new regenerating work of the Spirit, aligns with the truth of God's Word and begins to manifest and produce the fruit of the kingdom of God in our lives. The fruit of your lives speaks of the root of mindset, paradigm and thinking that you have in your life. You can only ever reproduce according to your kind. As goes creation, so goes your spirit. We reproduce fruit according to the kind of spirit and the kind of mindset that we have in our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is key. This is a really important passage of Scripture. The Bible says, Paul is speaking to the church in Rome, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says, do not be conformed to the pattern, the mold of this world, but be transformed, not by the removal of your mind, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may be able to discern what is God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Really, really important doctrine. Really important revelation that we need to wrap our hearts and minds around. Because even as believers, many believers, let alone people in the world, struggle to discern God's will in their life for two main reasons that this scripture reveals. The first is they haven't fully presented their body as a holy and living sacrifice. They have not fully surrendered their hearts, mind, body, and spirit to Jesus. 
They're saved, but they don't understand this concept of who is Lord over my life. And, and, and you can want God's will. You can want to hear it, discern it. But, but if you haven't fully surrendered, you're not going to know in the fullness and the entirety of what it is that God is wanting to lead you into. But once the Lordship issue is settled in your life and you presented your body as a living sacrifice, it's the gateway to coming into a place of beginning to discern what is on the Father's heart. The second reason why we don't often accurately perceive or discern what God is wanting to do in our lives is also because our minds are still conformed to the pattern of this world. We may attend church, we may attend a life group, we may even attempt to, to, you know, engage in some form of spiritual practice, be it prayer, the word, fasting, whatever. But if our minds are not coming into a place of renewal and realignment to the truths of the kingdom of God, we're not going to be able to accurately discern what is God's good, pleasing and perfect will. You see, a transformed mind doesn't come just because you read your Bible. There are unsaved, unbelieving students in university that read the Bible as a work of literature and they're not necessarily being transformed. If you want a transformed life and a renewed mind, you've got to let the Bible read you. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you come to the Word and you posture yourself around the Word, you've entered into relationship. You've entered into a partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, open my eyes, the eyes of my heart, that I may see wondrous things from your Word. And as you read the Bible, you are letting the Holy Spirit read the Bible into your heart. And so as you're reading, the Holy Spirit pinpoints and highlights different things that He is wanting to address in your life. Maybe there's an issue in insecurity or comparison, jealousy, lust. There's a bitterness because you haven't forgiven someone who has hurt you. And as you come to the Word and you read it and you study it, you say, Holy Spirit, use your Word as a mirror back to me that I would begin to see what is in me. And as you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to highlight things through His Word and you repent of those things, you bear fruit in keeping with that repentance of a renewed mind of what God is doing in your life. Uh, My God encounter over these last 10 days and particularly even from last Sunday, I can feel it. My brain is being stretched. Does anyone feel like their mind's being a little bit stretched? It feels, I look at the church and I'm like, it's a different church. Something is different. It's like the sense of family still there and that, that, that sense of, you know, hunger and expectation is all there. But it's like we're different. Why? Because God has reorientated us to his thinking. He's reorientated us to his ways. His ways aren't your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. So if we are going to enter into his ways and his ways are going to become our ways, his thoughts have got to become our thoughts. It's funny how often we presume our thoughts are God's thoughts. 
We make judgments on people and we make all sorts of judgments upon ourselves and upon our life and we just automatically presume that's what God thinks. No, he says for in Isaiah 55, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts, so are my ways. And so if we're going to begin to think like God so that his ways can become our ways, we need to engage in a transformation process and it begins with repentance. I find myself, even over the last you know, week and few days, even yesterday, as my mind's being renewed, my, I'm so much more sensitive to what I'm thinking. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought, well, okay, and I'm like, where did that come from? That's not of the spirit. That's totally of my flesh. That's from arrogance or pride or insecurity or, or comparison. And it's like the closer you get to Jesus and the more you spend time allowing the Bible to read you, the more conscious you become of your sinfulness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this tuning fork yeah. and it just gets sharper. The Word of God rightly divides between spirit and flesh of both joint and marrow, bone and marrow. There's death in the bone, but there's life in the marrow. And so that which is death and that which is life is revealed to you by the Spirit through His Word. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces. It's like the divine scalpel that pierces your heart and and changes you and, and spiritual surgery on you. And you just become more and more like, the spirit and so what did Paul say Paul said you know I am the least of the apostles in one letter then he says I am the least of the saints and then he says I am the chief of sinners what is happening in Paul the closer he gets to Jesus and more the work of the spirit is in his life he's becoming conscious and aware of his thinking his sinfulness not to punish him not to make him feel inferior insecure and inadequate but to call him out of his old nature into the fullness of Christ's nature and so that he would live according to the pattern of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. This is why when a thought comes that not only we... Because so often we're not conscious of the thoughts that are going through our head. Lord, make us more aware. Make us more conscious. But that's why the Bible says you've got to take captive every thought. I'm going to take captive of those wrong thoughts in my mind and in my spirit. And I'm going to bring it into subjection and into obedience and into slavery to Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says. I am a prisoner of Jesus. Wow. No, no one wants to be a prisoner or slave to anything these days. You can't tell me what to do, the world says. I'll do what I want. Oh, no, I am a slave of Jesus. I am a prisoner of Jesus. I gladly, humbly serve. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is going to require you to take captive of every thought. John J.B. Hi-Fi goes on again. And... uh, He launched the brand. And verse 9, it says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Do not presume. Important three words. Do not presume. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these rocks, these stones, to raise up children for, for Abraham. Even now the axe of judgment is laid to the root of the trees. 
And every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit in accordance with repentance, a renewed mind of the kingdom, is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's what the Holy Spirit said to me. We must never presume our practice, our faith approach, automatically gives us privilege with God. We must not presume it's our works that somehow esteems God in our life. The Sadducees and the Pharisees thought that they were or had privilege with God because of their extra biblical traditions and observances. And as a result, pride came into their hearts and they had the audacity to blame their Blame Abraham and say, oh, we're just the children of Abraham. He's our father and he seems to be okay with it. And yet they would miss the very relationship with God the Father that God was wanting to have with them to open their eyes and prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. And so God had to send a wild man with a wild spirit to say, you bunch of snakes, you've got to repent because you have missed the boat. You've got lost. You're so caught up in your works. You're not of the offspring of Abraham. Paul said in Galatians 3 that it's those who are the sons of faith that are the offspring of Abraham, not by your works. Now we understand that our works, our practice is informed, shaped and expressed through our faith. But so often we people get caught in this sort of religious mindset, this partnership with this religious spirit. And I said in the first service, I'll say it again, there's nothing more toxic, poisonous and dangerous than partnership with a religious spirit. Why? Because a religious spirit or the spirit of witchcraft in the church will lump onto God things that are evil, things that are demonic, but will sort of justify it under the banner of God said, and this is what God is wanting, and this is what you do. And all manner of sin and abuse and terrible atrocities have happened in the church for the last 2,000 years because people have presumed upon their practice and in the process have spiritually abused people and hurt people because it has not been from the father heart of God. A religious spirit is so dangerous. This is why I preach against it. I go after it because I know that God's kingdom will not come if we are simply bound in the practice of religion and in the letter of the law, but we're not being set free by the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel and and, and the, the doctrine of grace and what God is wanting to do in our life. Grace isn't a license for you to sin. Grace is an empowerment for you to be holy oh I'm, I'm, I'm coming your way this morning I am coming your way more so the spirit of God is coming your way today why because he loves you too much he wants you to be set free he wants you to walk away from an orphan heart into the fullness of his holy spirit coming into a revelation of him as father the spirit of sonship is a spirit of faith that is uh, extended by your faith in God not by your works we currently are a part of, of, the, of a, the modern church in the body of Christ right now, there are lots of different denominations, movements that are divided over practice, thinking that the Father gives them privilege because their practice is somehow better than somebody else's. 
So there's one movement that says, well, because we worship on Saturday, God esteems us more. They may not say that, but there's, there's, then there's another practice that, that, that's like, well, because we do it this way and, and we baptize this way and we anoint this way and we believe this this way, that God somehow esteems us more. And the body of Christ that was called in Ephesians 4 to walk in unity of faith, to grow into the full measure and stature of Jesus is divided because we thought we had privilege with God over our practice. How's that working out for us? Not too good. Not too good. And this is the power of the fivefold ascension gift ministries leading God's house in that it promotes unity of the faith. It promotes the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ. And even that can become a practice we idolize and we actually risk thinking that we have privilege because while well, we're honoring that doctrine or in the word, oh no, everything we have is by the grace of Jesus Christ. Everything we have is by His grace. We're not the only ones. God is actually doing this work of renewal and revival. In fact, I pray every church on every street corner is revived by the reviver. I want the Baptists, the uniting, the, uh, you know, which ones? The Ecclesians, that's not even a movement, but it's a good one. I want, I'm prophesying it into being. I want the Methodists. I want the Lutherans. I want the Presbyterians. Okay, we may differ on the practice, but we're coming together with a unity of faith, a unity of spirit. That's why I love, we've got power. Pastors, leaders coming from all over the place. I don't know who the flip they are, but they're coming and they're hungry. Why? Because God is doing something that is not about an ego and a logo. He's not doing something about a personality. He's coming back for a pure, unified, spotless bride. Oh, Jesus, come for that group of people. Jesus. Jesus. You know, even as a minister of the gospel, we can get stuck as leaders, as preachers, we can get stuck in a certain practice. The Lord said to me within the last couple of weeks, he said, son, I'm moving your preaching's changing. I'm moving your preaching from exegetical preaching to relational preaching. Well, that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? He wasn't saying to ignore the principles of how you interpret scripture. It's not like now it's heretical preaching. It's not what he's saying, all right? We understand the foundational principles. What he's saying is, it's, it's, even as ministers, we can get locked into a certain mode where it has to look like this and this is how you preach and whole Bible colleges teach certain modes, certain practices and this. And if it's not this, then it's not really. And then God just shows up somewhere and you're listening and you're like, it doesn't sound anything like the Bible college professor, but God's moving, God's changing, people's lives are being impacted and relational preaching is not ignoring the fundamental uh, principles of interpreting scripture but it's saying where does that come from is that you just figuring out a passage and because now you're a professional you know how to interpret that join that you know interpret that or is it coming being birthed out of a relational encounter with Jesus Christ out of that spirit of wisdom and revelation as you read it and you meditate upon it and as you study it it's like God scripts your heart with his heart in the word so that what comes out is an encounter Encounter with Jesus, not an encounter with the preacher and his practice. I'm sorry, it's just coming so thick and fast right now. And so we've got to be so careful that we do not think that God gives us privilege because of our practices as a church. 
it comes back to your heart, King David. Why was King Saul rejected? It's because he put more faith in what he thought it should happen in his kingdom than in what God wanted from Saul's heart. Whereas David, in his brokenness and in his messed up choices, still had this orientation towards the heart of the Father. And God said, because of his heart, you will not lack to have a king on your throne. And ultimately, that will be fulfilled in the person of King Jesus. It's about your heart. It's not just about your practice. And what John the Baptist says, if we put more faith into our practice than into our esteem of God from our hearts, that acts of judgment is laid at the root of the tree. And any tree, speaking of our lives, the church, ministry, if any tree does not bear fruit in keeping with a renewed mind of who God is and what the kingdom is about, cut. That's why in revival, one of the marks of true revival is the preaching cuts. Oh Lord, cut us, cut us. What, why do you want to hang on to that attitude? Why do you want to hang on to that mindset? Why do you want to hang on to that jealousy, that lust, that addiction? Why? It's because you could be of your father, the devil. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. It could actually be that you love, Paul said, the darkness more than you love the light. But when you come into the light, you want the word to cut you. You want the word to to shape you and mold you and shift you. You want your mind to change. I don't want to go back, Lord. I don't want to be the same. I want to be conformed to the image of your son. So God, come and cut, prune. Every tree, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. Jesus. And then the scriptures go on and John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you, immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, his pitchfork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with un." Quenchable fire. What's this about? When the spirit of fire comes, when the baptism of spirit and fire comes, he separates by his spirit and reveals which father we actually belong to. What manner of heart, what manner of spirit, what manner of relationship we are actually in. You see, when the Bible talks about the winnowing fork, it's talking about a pitchfork that was used to separate the grain, the edible grain from the chaff. And so what would happen is the farmer would lift, should I say, with his pitching fork, the harvest into the wind at harvest time, and the wind would come, blow upon the harvest, and would separate that which was edible from that which was inedible. That which will feed you from that which won't feed you. 
that which was of wheat and that which was of chaff. And when the work of the Spirit, when the wind of the Spirit blows in our lives, there is this separation that happens in our thinking There's this separation that happens in our flesh and in our spirit where there is a dividing between the wheat and the chaff. What is of God and what is not of God. What is of fruit that is in accordance with repentance and what is of not of of fruit according to unrepentance. The spirit comes on the threshing floor of our hearts and he rightly divides between truth and error. This is really interesting because... Last Sunday at midday, I was on the front here and um, went out to the bathroom. As I come out of the bathroom, I uttered this prayer, quiet prayer. As people were coming down to the altar and I'm walking up the tunnel behind here, I said, will you father me, Lord? Now, I've been growing in my revelation of the father heart of God for many years and I've had amazing spiritual fathers in my life. Uh, and natural father who has helped me and give me a picture of the father heart of God. But there's nothing like your heavenly father actually coming and revealing his heart to you. And you saying, will you father me, Lord? By the way, dangerous prayer. If you're not willing to partner with that, do not pray it. But when you get a revelation of his goodness and his love and his mercy and his long suffering and his kindness towards you, you can't help but say, Father, me, Lord. I literally, I'm saying that prayer as I'm coming up the tunnel. I walk down here and within five minutes, honestly, I came into the greatest encounter with God in my life. It did not come just because I sat there going, fill me, Holy Spirit, fill me, Holy Spirit, which is a great prayer to pray. It came out of a revelation of, will you father me? Because as I'm walking up here, the Spirit of God says to me, are you serious about that? Because if you're serious, I'm about to. I'm about to. And the wind of my spirit is going to come on you, son, because that's literally what it was like. It's like I got filled with the wind of his spirit. I could feel it. I'm like, Phil, (laughs) Phil. I'm prophesying over myself. You know it's bad when you start prophesying over yourself. I'm thinking it's for others. And I can feel this thing come on me. And I'm like, I'm not liking where this is heading. And uh, feel, feel. Next thing, gone. Four hours. Next thing, that night, another few hours. I'm telling you. And so out of the Father's heart, out of the Father's love, he's like, now the wind of my spirit's going to blow on you and I'm going to start to separate. What's of the flesh? What's of the spirit? What's empowerment versus what's control? What's of wheat? What's of chaff? And I can see it in people's lives. You look different. You look beautiful, but you look different. People look different. I'm seeing different. It's like different lens. And it's important that we talk about this because sometimes you need someone to articulate the internal processing of of a revelation that God gives to them and how this works out in real time. What's this deal about the threshing floor? The threshing floor was a place of separation and revelation. So it's as you're out in the spirit, it can happen standing up, sitting down, bowing, whatever it is. But if you're wondering why you're doing so much carpet time at the moment, it's because you're on the threshing floor of separation and revelation. 
And as you're there on that floor and you're out in the spirit, what's he doing? Something's happening. He's rightly dividing. He's showing you things. You're getting so full of God that, that what's not of him is being squeezed out. You bump into your lack of holiness as you encounter his holiness in your life. And which father you belong to starts to be revealed on the threshing floor of the spirit. Now go with me to John chapter 8, verse 44, 42 to 44. John 8, 42 to 44. Jesus speaking, Pharisees and Sadducees, about whose father they belong to. Which, by the way, can I encourage you, if you're new to our church, we go old school. We bring our Bibles to church. All right, if you've got your Bible, just lift your Bible up right now. Right, awesome, awesome. I know many of us can use our iPhones too. Can I encourage you, go buy an old school Bible in the resource center and bring it. Start to highlight. Start to, because I I sort of go, you know, if if we're not bringing our Bibles to church, uh, are we reading it at home? If you know what I mean, all right? Now I know it's not condemnation. I'm just saying, let's be a people of the word. Right? So John 8, 42, 44, Jesus said to them this, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Do you ever feel like that with Jesus? I'm not understanding what you're saying. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here we have a perfect example of Jesus when he says in Mark 10, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. When the father comes and immerses us in the spirit, the work of the spirit, there is this Separation from the wheat and the chaff. What's of repentance and what's of unrepentance. He didn't come to bring peace as we think of it. He's the prince of peace. But he comes to rightly divide. There will be some people who will not repent. The Bible is very clear because they love darkness more than they love light. They don't want to part with sin because it's become a part of their identity. And I really believe today that God is wanting to come by His Spirit in this hour with the sword of His Spirit and He's wanting to bring us into a place where we would authentically, boldly and honestly say, will you father me? And when you pray that, get ready for a few things. One, get ready for a new encounter. And two, get ready for God to discipline you. Because if you're without discipline, not punishment, discipline is different to punishment. If you're without discipline, you're an illegitimate son and daughter of God. But he highlights things and he shows you things and he disciplines in your heart because he's actually wanting to bring you into conformity to the image of his son. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.